Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Okay, we did the three kings killed, right? Okay. Okay, so now okay, now that um, page 245, the destruction of ecclesiastical Babylon, the Antichrist has been resurrected from the dead. He's come out of the abyss. He is now taking over now. He has taken over three world leaders, or three regions, the other ones that are submitting to him and and giving them his political their political power, which means he is now ru- uh, ruling politically and civilly over the entire planet. And so he truly is the one man ruling the entire planet. So at that point, what he has to do now, because it's not he's not content staying to the civil government, he needs to take over the religious aspect of the governments that has been the glue for all of them staying together. And we talked about the Whore of Babylon, and that's been the religious glue that's keeping these the, every nation together. Well, he's not content. If he is going to be worshipped, he's got to take over the religion. So he's going to have to do away with the religion. And so that's what we're going to see now is the destruction of ecclesiastical Babylon. This is Revelation 17. This was a mystery, by the way, that has now been revealed in Revelation 17. This was not talked about of how ecclesiastical Babylon would be destroyed, but John is now revealing it's the Antichrist who actually does it with his Ten League Confederation. Okay, and the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these shall hate the harlot, the religious system, right? And shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and shall burn her utterly with fire. They totally do away with her because he's going to set himself up now as God, and that's going to be his religious system. So they get away with her, uh, get get her out of the, the picture. Okay. So it's outlawed all of a sudden. It's gone. The New Agers, the Mormons, the Catholic, the uh, the whole thing that made up the Whore of Babylon is now consumed and it's outlawed. Okay? I want you to see something very intriguing. Evil consumes itself. Evil consumes itself. The Antichrist is the one who gets rid of it. So, the, the whore of Babylon is evil, so is the Antichrist, but notice it's consuming itself. It's just consuming. That's the nature of evil. It actually consumes itself. It destroys itself in the process. Okay, so now we then turn, as he does that, he basically puts an edict out to the entire world that any religion is forbidden at that point in time. So now he's going to turn his attention to the two witnesses. So we pick back up in Revelation 11, 7 through 13. And when they had finished their testimony, this is after three and a half years of the first half of the tribulation, the beast, and notice where he comes out of, that comes out of the abyss, which is a reference to the resurrection of him from the abyss, which only demons come from, and the resurrection is tied to Satan. Satan is the one who did this. Yes. Yeah, it evil consumes itself in the sense that once it's ready for its next front man, its next projection of evil, 
It has to do away with the other one it was projecting. You can't have two simultaneous things opposing themselves. That's the idea. And even that, that would be in concert with what Jesus is saying because you can't have ecclesiastical Babylon and the worship of the Antichrist going on at the same time. So Satan is even smarter than that. He's got to get that one off the scene to get the front man on there. So he himself removes it. But the point is, it's not that it's divided. If Satan is knowing what the, when the right timing is to, to put the front man up there. And so he's got to get rid of it. So what Satan does typically is he uses things and then when he's done with it, he chews it up and spits it out. That's the nature of what Satan does. When God uses things, he uses it to redeem things. He never throws anything away. So this is actually not a division. It's showing you that that when Satan uses things, he gets rid of them and throws them away. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this to, to that point. Most people who get demon-possessed, when Satan is done with them, he wants them to commit suicide. He gets rid of them. And so there's very high suicide rates with those who have been possessed or are possessed. When he's done with using them, they want to commit suicide. And many of them do. And they get harassed so much that he chews them up and spits them out. So it's actually proving what Jesus said. Because if he left the system in place along with trying to introduce the satanic system of the Antichrist, then the kingdom truly would be divided. But the fact that he's removing it, it shows you that he knows what he's doing in concert with things. So he comes up, shall make war with them, and overcome them and kill them. So he's talking about the two witnesses. The reference I wanted to, to make note, it, we've already talked about the two witnesses in, in back know, several weeks ago. And in Revelation 11, you can just listen to this. He says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the Lord of the earth. One interesting thing about that phrase, these are the two candlesticks or the two candelabras and the two olive trees. If you reference that back to Zechariah chapter 4, there are two olive trees in his vision, but there's only one candlestick. But in Revelation 11, it says there's two candlesticks. So, and he says these are the, the ones that stand before the Lord of the earth, and they have the, the the context is they have they have been standing for a very long time in the presence of the Lord. Okay, so. Two points I want to make about the two witnesses. I mean, we, we talked about the different theories of who they are and who they could possibly be and who they could not be. But interesting with Zechariah, it says the, they have two candelabras. Well, that means in Zechariah, the candelabra is referring to being a light to Israel. But this other candelabra from the other witness is a light to the Gentiles. Because Israel will be saved through the tribulation. And so will many, many Gentiles. And that's why in Zechariah there's only one, but in Revelation there's two candelabras referring to Jew and Gentile. Now, the term in Zechariah of standing before the Lord of the earth, and, and Revelation picks this up in Revelation 11, the idea possibly could be they have been standing before the Lord in the presence of the Lord for a very, very long time. I don't know why he would use that phrase. That's not a common phrase that you would say to a person that's already alive, that they stand before the presence of God, it could indicate and could be, and I say could, an indication that these are saints who have actually already died. 
and that they're coming back. Whether it's Moses and Elijah or Enoch, but that term, they stand before the Lord, or they have been standing for a long time, that could be that they're from, they're from heaven. So, anyway, that, that could indicate they're gonna die twice. Okay. The fact that he goes and starts making war with them, because they, no one could kill them. No one could do anything against these guys. And they cause plagues and all kinds of stuff to happen. You remember reading about the water turning to blood and, and droughts and fire coming out of the mouth and multiple plagues coming from them, anybody that tries to hurt them. No one has been able to touch them. Okay, so now he is resurrected from the dead, from the abyss, and now he's going to kill them. And so he does. And so God allows this to happen because their testimony is over. The job he gave them is over, so now he's going to allow them to be killed by the Antichrist. So he overcomes them and kills them. And their dead bodies lie in the street. Notice the three phrases I'm going to point out here. The great city, which spiritually is called Sodom, that's number two, and Egypt, that's number three, and then the interpretation is where also their Lord was crucified. So there's hidden, hidden meanings in here for those who are using this as a map and a kind of a survival manual. The three phrases, the great city, Sodom, Egypt. And he identifies that as an allegory to meaning what? Where, what city was our Lord crucified? Jerusalem. But he, he tacks on those three terms to Jerusalem. So, he is trying to send the message of the condition of Jerusalem at that present time, but also there's a built-in warning in there. And I want you to see this. It's not code. It's only code for those who don't know the Old Testament. It is called in Hebrew a remez. I'm giving you hints. And the hints should trigger a thought about what is going on in Jerusalem. Okay, the great city is an allusion to Babylon. What is What are we supposed to learn from Babylon? What do we understand about Babylon? What is the secret, so to speak, to the believers who non-believers don't understand when you use the term, that's like Babylon. What are we saying then? What is he saying? Where did all false religions originate? Babylon. Okay? The Antichrist moves to Jerusalem and puts himself in Jerusalem and proclaims himself to be God in the temple. We're going to see that. So the code is the, the, the false religion of the world is going to be centered in Jerusalem with the Antichrist causing the abomination of desolation. Babylon, spiritual Babylon, is moving with the Antichrist. And he's going to be centered in Jerusalem. What is the admonition in Scripture about Babylon to the saints? Jeremiah 50, 51, Isaiah 13 and 14, Revelation 17 and 18. The admonition when you read those passages to believers, flee from her. Flee from her is the message of Babylon. It's where the religions are, the false religions started, but you are to get out of her every time you're in her. Okay, so keep following me on this. 
It's, it's a message to the believers. Sodom. What comes to your mind about Sodom? Okay. Gross abomination of immorality. Okay. Sodomy. Homosexuality was not called homosexuality. It's called sodomy because it refers to Sodom and Gomorrah. Please tell me what happened in Sodom when God dealt with them. Destroyed the city. Did you remember the story? See, John is assuming you know the story, and you know every detail of the story. What was the message to the believers in Sodom? Get out! Don't look back, because if you look back, what happens? You're going to turn into a pillar of salt, so to speak, or a memorial to salt. A memorial bound to salt is what she turned into. She was incinerated, by the way. Hmm, I've seen a common message here. Get out of Sodom. Would you destroy Sodom for ten righteous? No, not for ten. That was the size of Lot's family, right? The angels got in there, blinded all the Sodomites, and they took them out, got them out, and then the city was rained down with fire and brimstone. Okay, I'm, I'm following. I got you. Egypt. What's the message of Egypt? What is the typology of Egypt? It's the world. It's the typology of the world. What was the problem in Egypt with the, with the, with the Israelites? They were captive. They were in slavery. They were in bondage, oppression. You're a slave. And Yahweh is going to get you out through the Exodus, through the Red Sea. We're escaping. False religion, gross immorality and abominations, oppression, slavery. Do you see the messages? That's going to be going on in Jerusalem. When the Antichrist goes nuts. All, all of what Israel had learned in the Old Testament will be centered in Jerusalem. Gross immorality. Oppression from the Antichrist. The false religion of Babylon is there now. Under one man, like Nimrod. It is now centered there. It is ground zero. And what is all three messages saying to the Jews? Get out of Dodge. Or you're going to die. He is going on a rampage because he knows his time is short. He is come back from the abyss. Satan is now using him. You are going to die if you stay in the city. What did Jesus say in all of the discourse? When you see the abomination of desolation, Flee into the desert and get out. Pray it doesn't happen on a Sabbath. Why? Pray it doesn't happen in winter. Pray you're not a pregnant woman. Why? Why wouldn't you want the abomination of desolation happening in the winter in Jerusalem? You can't get out. 75% of the people don't have cars today. It's all public transportation. Have you ever been to Israel, Jerusalem, and on the Sabbath? Nothing works. You go in an elevator, I was in the King David, and you get stuck in that elevator, and guess what? You can't even punch a button. You know why? They have it set for Sabbath rule, and it, you can't use your finger to punch because they consider that work. 
and the elevator goes from every floor. And you get on, you're going to take a ride for like a half hour. And you're going up to King David, and you just go hit every floor, because you're not going to touch a button. They're not going to let you work. Guess what? There's no taxis. There's no public transportation of buses. You're not getting out. So if it happens on the Sabbath, you are stuck running on foot because most of the, Jew, the Jews do not have cars. Pray it doesn't happen in the wintertime. Why? The rain. It's the rainy season in Jerusalem. They build their bridges in wadis. They don't build them over like they do here in California. They go right through the water, or sorry, the riverbed. So guess what happens in the wintertime when it's raining? The wadis fill up the river, and, they, and you can't cross the roads. Pray it doesn't happen in wintertime. And pray you're not a pregnant woman, because if you're on the run and you're carrying a bunch of kids, you're going to get slowed down. So all this is to say, it's it's in. It's encrypted almost, not code, but any believer who reads those words, oh, I see what you're saying. Now when he does this, he's going nuts. He's not our protector anymore. He's going to kill us? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Does that make sense, I hope? That's that's all, he just hopes we, we understand. Okay, so we continue on. And... From among the people's tribes and tongues and nations do men look upon their dead bodies three days and a half and suffer not their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. He doesn't allow burial. He kills them. I don't know how he kills them. Uh, maybe through satanic power. I don't know. And he doesn't permit the bodies to be buried. And their bodies are laying there and notice what it says. All tribes, tongues, nations look upon their bodies. Wait a second. Wait a second. How can you make that statement, John? How in the world could the entire planet see their bodies when you're writing in 95 AD? Because that's right. Welcome to a technological prophecy. When you see a prophecy like that, you fully know that could not have happened in 1000 AD. It could not have happened in 95 AD because the whole world could not have seen it. You now live in an age where you see how the entire world could see this happen. Everybody's got a cell phone, like Dave said. Everybody can pull YouTube up. It'll be on YouTube. It'll be on Facebook. It'll be every Look, their bodies there. 24-hour news programs going on. There's their bodies. The Antichrist finally got rid of them. Look at that, look at that, look at that. <laughs> That's amazing. You could not have said that 100 years ago. You couldn't have said it 200 years. That's absolutely amazing. We're in that age. <laughs> you couldn't have. Think about that. And you think about all the, all the prophecy guys that live within the last 100 years, and we're living in an age where that's, that's very possible. All you have to do is people will be there. I, I, everywhere I go, people are like this. And they're filming with their cell phones. They're like that. It doesn't even matter if the news people are there. Yeah. So, so everybody has a, a camera with them and a video. And they, then they upload it to the Internet because of the Internet. I, uh, Al Gore thinks he created. Uh, <laughs> everybody can see it. 
I find that amazing. That's a technological prophecy. Now watch what happens. This is, this is very satanic. And they that dwell on the earth rejoice over them and make merry. And they shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. They have a satanic Christmas. They start exchanging gifts. They're so happy about this. Now, the idea of torment, obviously, is tied to the plagues they sent. It's tied to all the, the waters turning to blood and the droughts and stuff. But I think it also has to do with them proclaiming the truth. They tormented people by what they were saying. The Messiah is coming and going to destroy you if you don't repent. It's the gospel of the kingdom. He's coming with the kingdom. So you know that had to, to, to make people just so irritated to hear that. And then they couldn't do anything about it. So that's why they're all pumped up about this. Now, there's something going on here. Notice how they're, uh, they're dead three and a half days. So the qualification is they're dead for three, over three days. Like Lazarus, they were de- he was dead for four days. It's very important especially to the Jews. And after three and a half days, or three days and a half, the breath of life from God entered into them, and they stood on their feet. And a great fear fell upon them that beheld them, that saw them, basically. And they heard a great voice from heaven, it's a back hole, the voice of God, from heaven saying unto them, come up here, or come up hither, which is the same phrase that was given to John in Revelation 4, by the way. That's probably the term we will hear Jesus say when he raptures us, because this is a rapture of them personally. And they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Let's stop there. God resurrects them. The church is already being resurrected and glorified in the rapture, so now here's another part of the first resurrection. All The first resurrection are believers, and now they're raptured and glorified and taken into heaven in front of everybody to see, particularly Israel. Why is this important to Israel? For them being dead three days, or at least three and a half, they're over three days, three and a half days. Why is this important to Israel? The what now? Three days to escape? There's something going on here. Yeah. That's true. They're dead. And so this is a true resurrection. And that's important because we're going somewhere with this. Jesus told Israel this. And this will strike your memory real quick. They asked, give us a sign. After he'd given all those signs and proved that he was the Messiah. Give us another sign. He said, I am not giving you anything else. No sign will be given except sign of Jonah. And he's already given the sign of Jonah twice. But he will give it one more time. What is the sign of Jonah? It's resurrection. It's verification, like Larry is saying, that you're dead. You're truly dead. This is not a revival or resuscitation. You are dead and done. Biologically dead. And then God resurrects you. Okay. What was the first sign of Lazarus? You remember? I gave it away. No one caught it. It's Lazarus. Sign of Jonah, right? 
Okay, Jonah, obviously, was dead and resurrected. He says, I was in Sheol, and I prayed in Sheol. So he's the, he's, he's the, uh, the, the, the quintessential example right there of what Jesus was talking about. Jonah was resurrected uh, from the dead, and then he was spit out. The, the tomb for Jonah was the fish that encased his body, that protected his body, actually. And so Jesus says, that's what I'm going to use to show to you, Israel, the last sign that I'm the Messiah. So what did he do? He raised Lazarus from the dead after four days. Why four days? Because they said the spirit, in, the, in, the, in Judaism, they said the spirit hovers on the body for four days, and then after that it leaves the body. So it's to prove that he was dead. Resurrects Lazarus from the dead. They can't do anything. They want to kill Lazarus. They want to put him out, because that, that's a walking miracle right there. That's the first sign. It's rejected. Second sign was what? The Lord's resurrection, right, from the tomb. That's the second sign of Jonah, is the Lord's own resurrection. And what did they do with that? They knew it happened. They said, bribe the, the centurions and tell them that someone came and stole the body. We'll take care of the centurions. They won't get killed. We'll take care of Pilate. Let's bribe them. So the second sign of Jonah was rejected. The Lord's resurrection. Okay, you got one more than Israel. It's the two witnesses. The two witnesses represent Israel's last sign of Jonah that's been given to him. Death, resurrection, going to heaven, the ascension. And guess what will happen here? It sparks belief. It sparks it. And it will actually lead to Israel's regeneration towards the end. It's where it starts. This right here starts Israel's revival in the in the middle of the tribulation. This is where it begins. Okay? So let's continue to read. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake. Wasn't there an earthquake associated with the Lord's resurrection? Great earthquake associated with Mount Sinai? Yes. Anytime Israel sees an earthquake, they know it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the tenth part of the city fell. And there were killed in the earthquake 7,000 persons. And the rest were affrighted or, or afraid. But notice this. And gave glory to the God of heaven. There's where it starts. There's the revival. The, the witnessing of the 144,000, the two witnesses now with their death, it happens for the very reason to start the spark going of the revival that will happen in the nation of Israel. So, um, interesting observation about the two witnesses. And, and I don't know how far to take this principle, but they're bulletproof until their time is done. They can't be touched. They, they're just nothing will happen to them until God says, "I'm done," and now it's time for you to go. In many ways, that's how your life and my life is. We have a duty, and we will stay at that duty. And when we're done with it, then we're completed in our in our mission here, and then God takes us home. So the concept of death is that it's not that someone's passing away and then. Um, they missed their time or, or they had so much time. No, they have completed the mission that God had for them. And now it's time to come home. That's the mindset of death. 
is completion of mission. So what that means for you and I that are standing here, your mission's not over. You still have a lot to work to do. Please do not go and think, I'm going to sail off into the sunset and do nothing for the Lord. You're here for a reason. There's no retirement in the kingdom. And they'll see the glory cloud. See this idea that they go into the cloud? That's the glory cloud. Anytime you see the word cloud, it's the glory cloud. Jesus was lifted up into the clouds, the glory cloud. So the, the Shekinah is either in cloud form or in fire, right? So when you see that reference to cloud, Jesus is coming on the clouds. Don't think of, oh, he's on a cloud like in the sky. It's the glory cloud that God envelops himself with. So, yeah, absolutely, we beheld his glory. They will see a, a glory come and take them in. Amazing to see that glory. They'll see it. And that's what I think the Jews will, not only the resurrection, but they'll see the glory, the Shekinah glory. Then Moses says, I want to see your glory. So it's all there. It's all wrapped up into that. But the enemies, obviously, they don't like it at all. And uh, I don't know, and we'll, we'll take a break after this, the speculation, what could they possibly speculate about what happened to them if they're not going to attribute to God? Aliens beamed them up. See, I told you they were aliens. And they just took them back into the spaceship. If you're not going to say God, what are you going to say? Anyway, let's take a break and we'll come back. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.